Hi, and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick, and well, you know, I think that there is a chance that this episode of the podcast is going to be listened to by more people than any of our previous episodes. And I, and I think that the reason for that is my guest, who is a real deal celebrity, and also for, you know, for the purposes of this show, a real deal birder. And it gives me a chance to talk a little about birding and celebrity and, and what it means for a celebrity to be into birding. Um, you, you may not be aware that there are actual celebrities out there who are birders too. Um, there's actually a list of bird watchers on Wikipedia, believe it or not, and there's a subsection called Bird Watchers Famous for Achievements in Other Fields. And while you know Wikipedia is often a, a pretty good resource for these sorts of things, this list is a it's sort of a mishmash. It includes names like John James Audubon, who died, of course, in 1851, and former President Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, so, you know, so maybe it's not the most currently relevant list, but in in any case, it does include some names that you might recognize. Uh, Steve Martin, for one, who was in the movie The Big Year, but I I honestly I had not heard that he had kept birding up uh sean bean of game of thrones lord of the rings he's british birding's a bigger deal over there so maybe he's um, maybe he's a birder and i didn't know it um there are also things like cameron diaz uh musicians like mick jagger van morrison yeah i i don't know quite what to make of all that this was all news to me but i do know there are some actual celebrity birders out there uh, neil pert the drummer from Rush appears to be a real deal birder. He wrote something a few years ago about seeking out island scrub jays, um, which is, you know, that's that's pretty hardcore. And I'm pretty sure Closer to the Heart is, is really about an epic big day in which every member is sort of firing on all cylinders. But, you know, maybe don't take that to the bank. Some I do know, uh, ABA board member Lily Taylor has a long career. Uh, not a huge star, but one of those people that when you see her on a movie or on TV, you'll always think, oh, oh hey, I, I know her. I like her stuff. Um, I once read an interview with comedian Tig Notaro where she talked about enjoying watching birds at her feeder. And of course, uh, novelist Jonathan Franzen has spoken and written extensively about birding. Um, one hopes enough that he no longer has to feel self-conscious carrying binoculars, as he once wrote. So there are a handful, maybe... Maybe just enough for a Hollywood chapter of the Audubon Society, but uh, so far as I know, none have written anything that features birding quite as prominently as my guest today, uh, actor Ian Harding. His book, Odd Birds, treats birding really honestly and in a really positive light. Uh, He really gets birding, and and he should. He's he's a birder, like, in the way that, you know, all of us are. And here's why I, I think that that's important. Birding has always suffered from an image yeah i I don't want to say a problem but i'm going to go ahead and touch that third rail and say that you know a lot of people have never quite known what to do with us um there was a survey that was published last year Uh, it claimed to be an empirical study of creepiness and um sadly birders were up there towards the top right alongside clowns funeral directors and taxidermists you know, the study authors suspect binoculars had something to do with it, and that's not even getting into those of us who carry cameras with long lenses, uh, spotting scopes, or, God help us, shotgun mics for recording birdsong. So maybe, you know, a Hollywood type with that sort of 
effortless, cool thing going for him that Hollywood types seem to preternaturally have is is really good for us. Uh, someone who is not ashamed to carry their binoculars. I think that a lot of people who might not have thought about birding much will probably read this book. You know, they might get it a little more because they know Ian is a birder. And some might be inclined to check out birding, most probably won't. Uh, maybe a few more will become allies for local conservation efforts or public lands policy or the things that we that we care about that affect all of us. Anyway, um, that's one of the things that Ian and I talk about. He's a thoughtful guy. I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. All that stuff is right here after a message from Jeff Gordon and this week's Rare Birds. Hi, I'm American Birding Association President Jeffrey Gordon, and I'm asking that you support the ABA's Young Birder programs today by going to aba.org gift and donating to our nesting season appeal. At the ABA, we are very proud of our track record of mentoring and supporting the birding, ornithology, and bird conservation leaders of the future through our Young Birder camps, our Young Birder of the Year contest, and our numerous online resources. We need your help to keep those programs the best they can be. The nesting season is a brief but critical time in birds' lives. Getting the nestlings off to a good start means everything to the future. Our nesting season appeal is the same. Please go to aba.org gift right now and make an investment in the future of birds and of birding. And if you'd prefer to donate by phone, just call us at 800-850-2473. Thank you. And thanks for listening to the American Birding Podcast. This is your rare bird focus for the last part of June 2017. The arrival of a fork-tailed flycatcher in Cape May, New Jersey this past week that was seen by a lot of birders allows us to talk about the insane spring that we've had for this species in the ABA area. Fork-tailed flycatcher is one of the more common austral migrants to show up in the U.S. and Canada, and we typically get two or three every year, but this year has seen many, many more than that, uh, with birds found in Virginia, South Carolina, Quebec, Nova Scotia, Michigan, and at least three individuals in Florida, all since the end of May. I suspect that a lot of listeners know what I mean when I say that this is an austral migrant, but for those that might not, an austral migrant is a southern hemisphere species that migrates northward in the fall, so towards the equator. So it is the beginning of the southern hemisphere winter right now, so these are birds that are heading north looking for warmer climate and overshooting by, by quite a bit to end up in the eastern U.S. and Canada. Interestingly, fork-tailed flycatcher is hardly the only austral migrant that we've seen this spring. I talked last episode about a brown-chested martin in central Florida. That's another austral migrant. And also, it's worth noting that this fork-tailed flycatcher run that we've been on has also been associated with higher-than-normal numbers of tropical kingbirds in the east. Uh, we in the ABA area often think of tropical kingbird as a southwestern, sort of West Mexican species, but it is a wide-ranging bird throughout the neotropics. And the South American subspecies is known to be an austral migrant. So these tropical kingbirds that have shown up in Delaware and North Carolina and Mississippi and Florida and Wisconsin might well be coming from, from the south rather than the west. We've got a few first records to report. May and June continue to be very good so far as new birds in new places are concerned. In Maine, a snowy plover in Georgetown County represents a first, though that might have been overshadowed the next week by a yellow-nosed albatross photographed sitting on a rock on Pond Island, even though the albatross was not a state first. South Carolina had a first record of black-whiskered vireo and a pair of alliterative hummingbirds, broad-billed hummingbird in Tennessee and buff-bellied hummingbird in Wisconsin represent first for those respective states. This is just a little taste 
of the rarity landscape for the period. For all the stuff I left out, check out the ABA blog, blog.aba.org, every Friday morning. You can also get real-time reports and discussion on rare birds throughout the U.S. and Canada at the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare. My guest today is best known for his work on Freeform Network's drama Pretty Little Liars, where he has won 17 Choice Awards for playing the role of teacher Ezra Fitz. But actor Ian Harding is a birder, too. And in his new memoir, Odd Birds, he writes about his life as an actor and the huge part birds have played in it. Thanks for joining me, Ian. Thank you for having me. Uh, so you've been interested in birds for nearly your whole life as you as you write in Odd Birds. Uh, the story you tell is, is a really relatable one. Uh, for people who haven't read the book, uh, when did you start appreciating birds, and, and what is it about them that you find so fascinating? You know, I, I having just written a book about why I love them, I still don't know the real answer. I guess at the end of the day, it's just been a fascination and something that I have always enjoyed. I, I You know, I grew up in sort of suburban Virginia with, with a lot of access to um, uh, ponds, fields, forests, all of that. So I had a nice sort of education growing up when I was doing it. But my dad and I would often go out uh, at the end of the day and sort of go through the forest together. And I just happened to connect with birds. You know, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of kids would connect to trees or mammals or, or something like that. But I just really got into the, um, the our friends with feathers, if you will. And I've just sort of I've been at it really passionately for the past five or six years because before I was just really excited about what I could find in my basic Eastern guide uh, or Eastern Audubon guide. And so and then I put it away for a little while just because, again, you know, I was very foolishly uh, embarrassed of it when I was in middle school, high school because I was afraid. I think that's a pretty common thing. I, you know, I went through the same thing when I was in, in middle school and high school, too. Really serious birder as a young kid, kind of stepped away from it uh, for a while and came back into yes. it uh, as, a, as an older person when I had more time and, and more interest and less, you know, I was less concerned about what other people thought about yes. my interests. Yeah, I, I can agree. I mean, after a while, I mean, I just, isn't it funny that once I started caring about it um, or, or talking about it, you know, I, when I talk about it now, it's interesting the people, it's, it's almost as if it's a litmus test for someone's uh, quality or, or, or whether or not you want to talk with somebody, because if I bring it up and somebody comes off as almost offended, you know, people like that they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you, so you like go and you just, you watch birds. There's like a mild, there's like a tinge of anger in their voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that that's like, Oh, I don't want to actually talk to this person about anything, let alone bird watching. <laughs> but, uh, but then, you know, if somebody's like, really, then you have somebody that, oh, this is somebody who can step outside themselves and like hear about other interests. You know, that's that's somebody that you want to talk to. Yeah. I, I really like the story about your sort of return to birding with that chance encounter of the, the hood of Merganser and the, you know, the friend of a friend who was a birder. Uh, what did it mean to you to bring that that part of yourself back to the front of your life? It meant a lot just because it it, it suddenly tapped into um I guess my childhood or, or it tapped back into a sense of wonder and, and of discovery. And because I had been living in LA for a while and I had been working as an actor and, and I think LA is given a bad rap often just because the industry out here can be very shallow and, and very results oriented and, and can, you know, it eats its own young and all these other horrible phrases <laughs> that we can attribute to it. But I started to get into that mindset of, 
not even the L.A. lifestyle, but the L.A. bitterness where one is lucky and successful and should be basically, you know, counting your blessings every day. But instead, you find yourself in this mode of functioning that is um, what I would like to call being perpetually over it. You know, um, and it, it cynical. Being, yeah. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> it being, whatever. Uh, but with birding, I was able, you know, just sort of meeting a friend and, and started talking about it again. I started getting very excited because it was something that came back from my past. And I think as I, I was an actor for most of my life in, in some capacity, it, it like touched into a sense of play that I had kind of lost since I started getting a paycheck yeah, for, for acting. So, so I think that's, that's what that kind of did for me. And then ever since I've just been sort of a, a, a student to it. And, and, and I feel like when you're a student to, to, to bird watching it, it, that mentality uh, seeps into other parts of your life, whether that's a need to be honest about a, what you've seen as, as you should be honest in real life, but then be being humbled, you know, to, to say that oh, I know what that thing is, you know, is, is you. Yeah. No, birds, birds can definitely humble you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's done a lot for me. Uh, so it's, it's, the book is a collection of essays. Uh, most of them, you know, kind of tie your life as an actor to experiences that you had with birds in, in ways that are really clever. Um, I think that my favorite is the chapter about the California condor uh, that you yes. liken to uh, a really great acting role and all the turkey vultures that you sort of have to pick through to find that condor as sort of the dozens, hundreds of auditions that you have to do to, to get that role. Right. Um, do these sort of metaphors, these connections occur to you when you're out in the field, or is it something that you sort of need to sit on for a little bit to, to really come up with them? Uh, when writing the book, uh, some of them I had to sort of sit on, but some of them made sort of sense instantly. And, and also going, going out with uh, my buddies, John and Walter, um, John, the, the reluctant birder, and, and Walter, <laughs> the, the avid lifelong uh devon yeah great characters in the book uh, great characters and real people too and uh you know when i go out with them they're able to we can we can get very poetic very quickly if we you know are, are outside and sharing a bottle of something and and so sometimes they come to us fairly easily but you know like i think that the connection between paparazzi and like sneaking up on some very rare bird i think is is a pretty obvious Right, yeah, you mentioned the book too, and that is really a clever one that I hadn't thought about. You know, I've chased many rare birds, never really think about it from the perspective of the bird itself. Maybe I should. Right. <laughs> what was especially daunting was was the seeing some of the lenses, the telephoto mm-hmm. lenses that are it's used. The same ones, yeah. The same ones <laughs> in both wild. fields. Yeah. Um, but the you know with the condor, I think it was um, that that's one of the many things that birding does for me is it actually you know is is an allegory or sort of helps highlight other parts of my life, and so. You know, I, yes, I was writing a book, and so I was thinking perhaps a, a bit more deeply about both my life and my um, love for uh, for birding. But you know, some uh, some I have to like take a second and think out. But some were pretty were pretty obvious. But uh, the, the condor thing was was that was also the, that was not the first time that I had gone looking for it. Really, I mean, um, and this <laughs> we just consistently like this time we thought we had it. We oh, thought yeah, we had yeah. And we did have that moment where something was so far away, but still sizable mm-hmm. enough. But you just, you know, you definitely need the the the, the better view needed. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, it was it was a pretty uh, spot on allegory for for acting, where it's just you're so close, and you know it. You can taste it. You can feel it. Whether you're 
you're testing for a pilot and it's you and it's this other guy and you know that it will be one of either of, of you, you know, and yet, and then it goes to him. So, so no, it's a, it's pretty, a pretty sound connection um, that maybe people wouldn't get at first. Yeah. That's also the chapter where you describe the, the song of the Canyon Ran as a cartoon character falling off a cliff with Ashley. That actually made me laugh. That was a really good, really good description. <laughs> yeah. It was that, Cause that's how I try Cause I'm not the best with, um, with songs and calls and everything. I, I mean, I, I, but if I can figure out some way to even make a joke for myself, you know, like one of the, I think of like the Northern Perula, which I, I had only recently seen. Yeah, it's not a very common bird in California. It's not. And, yeah. and but because every time I'm back on the East Coast, you know, I, I, I've been trying to find it because like it has the call that like goes up and then it top and then it like plateaus. And so, you know, I try and think of this, you know, the same sort of thing where. It stays in the upper reaches of the branches and then and then stays there. And that's how I like sort of associate oh, the yeah, call. Yeah, that's good. And that's one of the reasons I could never see it, because it was so high up <laughs> yeah, in a dense like, Virginia forest. I like I I know you're there, I just can't see you because you're the tiniest warbler. <laughs> yeah. You you may have ruined Canyon Wren for me. Um you know, I think we have a tendency to be very poetic about that that bird song because it's you know, it's just so evocative of that place, you know, dramatic yes, scenery yes. and all this, and it's that beautiful descending but now it's going to be a cartoon character falling off. It's even got the splat at the end too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you, do you get a chance to do any birding when you're on set? Um, uh, occasionally. I mean, when we have shot in uh, cemeteries, I've, I've sort of eh, just kind of seen if I can like wander off. But actually most recently I was doing uh, a pilot. We're still sort of waiting to see uh, what happens with it, but we were shooting down in San Pedro and we were, you know, on one of the docks and, and it was early morning. And I know I'm like, okay, close to water. It's early morning. Let's see if I can find anything. And I actually, I do usually bring, you know, a bag with me whenever I go to set, which is mainly just for any sort of entertainment, you know, between takes, you read something, you, you know, you do something like that. But in my bag, I have a small pair of, of Nikon trailblazers that are sort of my, you know, traveling Travel specs. Bins, yeah. I, I, got, I was able to go out and just, you know, sort of chilling between the docks was a, a was it a Pacific Grebe? No, it was the Western Grebe. Western, excuse me. Yeah, it was the Western Grebe. And I, and I was, was uh, neat, yeah. you know, just like taking a second, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that I think some of my uh, castmates uh, for this pilot were were a little perplexed <laughs> because I was I was like right under this barbed wire fence looking at this uh this western green and getting very excited um <laughs> but but yeah no so that's that's usually i try and sneak away and I'll, or i'll have a moment where you know i think it'd be one thing if suddenly we find ourselves shooting in uh right all of a sudden you're distracted by what's flying over <laughs> right right in the middle of the sentence i'm like yeah that would be really that'd be really painful that is one of the great things about birding is that you can you can pretty much do it everywhere you know, the birds are all over the place. Truly. There's always something interesting to look at. I mean, no joke. I, I've, I've, I've been out and for this specific purpose of birding in Virginia. And then finally one day I'm, I'm like just taking a walk around the neighborhood with my mother and I hear that little call and I'm like, no way. And I look up in this tiny little tree. I mean, it's, it's maybe like 15 feet high and just sort of minding its business is this Northern Perula. <laughs> and, and I, and I, of course, I'm I'm losing my mind just because, <laughs> and I'm looking at it with I'm, I'm no joke five feet. Like my face to this bird is five feet. Oh yeah, that's nice. Just, and I was like, wait a minute, I've been trying to see this thing for, <laughs> like for for no joke, like the past year and a half. And I and and here it is, just chilling. And and 
you know, and my mom was like, I don't, I really don't get this. <laughs> Why you're so excited about this. But, but yeah, um, you can really do it anywhere. Uh, one of the things you write about a bit, a bit is um, being sort of the bird person among your circle of friends and, and colleagues that you work with. Uh, you get texts and messages with bad pictures of birds. I think that's something that a lot of us have sort of uh, experienced. Uh, do you still do you still get those texts from people? I do. I, I got one from both from my actual castmates. Keegan likes doing that just for fun. Like he'll he'll take a picture of the empty sky and be like, "What bird is this?" <laughs> and and I, and I just usually reply back with some simple expletive. <laughs> but um, but no, I got one. This is a couple of years ago now, but I remember getting one from my friend Catherine. She was up in New Hampshire and, and she, she, they said, we found, she sent me a picture and the, the text said, we found this in my husband's backyard. What is this? And I looked at it and, and I, it was clearly a juvenile of some sort and I couldn't tell. Um, so like I was able to like, Oh, okay. I'm going to go learn from this now because I can go. I'm like, you know what? I don't know what, that is, but yeah, no, I definitely get, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have that ability where either I know it right off the bat and you look like a total champ or, or you don't and you go and now like that experience of going and searching for it, you now have, you have that knowledge in the, in the back of your brain. Yeah. It, it sort of goes to show how interesting birds are to even people who are not birders too. You know, people are still, you know, inclined to, to notice that sort of thing and, and send it off and want to know what it is too, which is, True. You, know, you know, this interest in birds, people's interest in nature. I think it's kind of bit really base. Because people can tell, I mean, there, there were people that, uh, when the, um, the painted bunting mm -hmm. was in Brooklyn. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people were losing their minds. Oh yeah. That people, one. Were, they, they, people can tell when something's out of, out of context or, or the people that were walking by are suddenly like, Oh my God, look how beautiful that thing is. <laughs> yeah. You know, these are, uh, I guess people, you know, Brooklynites? Is that even the proper term? I uh, guess Brooklyn. they would probably have something to say about that, but I don't know it offhand. <laughs> right. I, I hope I don't get like hate yeah. mail because of it. But you know, when they're used to looking at pigeons, right, and everything like that, suddenly, oh my God, you have this bright, uh, you know, seemingly tropical bird, like you know, chilling on your uh, in your local park. I think that's pretty shocking. I um, I think it's probably fair to say that this book that you, this Odd Birds, is going to be read by more people than any birding book birding specific book just by by virtue of your celebrity so it's really refreshing that you are you are so true to the experience of birding in it that's one thing that i really enjoyed about it um are you prepared to be seen as sort of the face of birding to a community of people who who probably didn't think too much about it before yeah i think i am i i, I with that said i you know i when i think of when i think of like the face of birding i think like ken kaufman or sibley or any you know any of those guys or, or, or uh, women. I mean, I, but also for most of them, you know, other than Ken and, and Sibley, I wouldn't know their faces really. Right. If exactly. I saw, yeah. You know, just because they write the books, they write the guides and everything. And, and I think, I, I think what would be different about my sort of piece of this birding puzzle, if you will, is that I'm not, I'm not particularly, I think I'm good at birding, but I'm not great. I mean, I, I, earlier in this conversation, I said, I said Pacific Grebe is Western, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, I may know that like, all right, so the shading on the neck is different from other Grebes that you might mistake it for, but I'm not, but I'm not an expert. Like, you know, I feel like Ken Kaufman is the guy that will be able to tell you from like the, the something flying overhead, 
You will know exactly what it is. But at the same time, in preparing for this book, I actually had a conversation with him. And I was, you know, very lucky to have to be able to do it. And I told him about um, an experience that I had had uh, earlier that year where I had never seen a Blackburnian warbler before. But I was really struck by just the the shimmering, like, gold. It, I mean, it looks honestly like the thing is, like, slightly on fire. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah they're incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, and yet I, I you know, th- this is when I was down in, in High Island. And, uh, you know, I, I was really struck by it. And he said, aren't they stunning? And this is a man who has seen this species of bird, like, uh, multiple times, you know, but still can really wax poetic about it. And I think that's, that's where, where I would fall is not, I'm by no means an expert. My life list is very short. Like right now it's like maybe around 200, maybe, I mean, it's not a lot. Well, I mean, I don't think that you, you need to be that, that super expert birding, I think just sort of introducing this, this concept, which is why I was so excited that you know, you you talk about birding in a way that it feels really true to me, someone that's been birding for a long time. And that is sometimes hard to impart in public media, yeah. in culture sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's absolutely this sort of dorky aspect to it. You know, can't can't deny that. But there's also this real sense of discovery, this real sense of, uh, of being out and, and being part of something that's Right. It's bigger than you that, you know, being aware of this world that maybe other people aren't aware of that I think is really true, true and universal. And uh, I mean, you do, do a really fantastic job of, of getting that through in the book. Well, thank you. I mean, that's 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 the highest compliment that I can get where it's, you know, I don't I, I, I'm not really the guy. Well, I suppose I'm I'm both of these types of birders where you see the thing and you're like, yes, mm-hmm. and you get excited <laughs> about going and like checking it off somewhere. But simultaneously it's you know it, it is it is always the journey there's no you know how much would it suck if you literally saw every bird in the world <laughs> yeah what yeah. are you gonna do yeah <laughs> like hang it know, up <laughs> I, yeah just go i'm like all right well i guess i'm gonna take up like knitting i don't know you know so uh and not to not to crap on knitting but it's the same thing where where i i it is hard to explain to people why you enjoy it but it is, it, it, it's for multiple reasons. It, it can be something that's purely aesthetic, like seeing, you know, I, I think American kestrels are, a, are, are an aesthetically pleasing oh, yeah. bird. Yeah, absolutely. They're literally red, white, and blue. They're ferocious, <laughs> and yet they're tiny. You know, like, how great is that? But simultaneously, they're a wonderful indicator species for a, a, a local habitat's health. So... There's tons of reasons that I enjoy it, and and I mean I, I'm I'm aware that I just wrote a book that I was paid <laughs> to, you know to write. It's also something for me personally where, for the most part, I'm not I'm not selling it. Like I'm not, especially now in Hollywood where everything is for sale. Social media allows for everything to be monetized, everything to be uh, displayed, and it's somewhat expected. Whereas this thing that I love, I can really get behind it because I think it's a passion that is worthy, that, that is a way of getting you outside of yourself, that gets you off of your phone, unless you know, you're playing like a, a bird call or something. <laughs> or you e-bird, know? yeah. <laughs> oh, right, right, or e-bird. But that's kind of why I do it because it's not, it's not really, it's not going to make me a bajillionaire and it's, a, it's, it's something that does not directly affect 
my acting career per se. And it's something that I get genuinely peaceful and calm, you know, like literally hanging out in a swamp, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like how not many people have that. And, and, um, I'm rambling now, but <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm letting you No, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. It's this wonderful kind of experience that is hard to get across sometimes. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, maybe more people will be, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to make a ton of birders, but it might get some people outside. Right. A portion of those might become interested in, in the stuff that's going on around them. Right. You know, it's all, it's all good. Some people may, you know, if, if people end up getting into conservation or realize like, you know what, birding, you know, is, is, is boring to me, but you know, it isn't like habitat loss. Yeah. You know, that's something that I suddenly care about. Like while reading this book, you know, then, then, then already it's a success for me. So, yeah. So pretty little liars has, has wrapped up. Um, you probably got some new projects on the horizon. Uh, do you think that you will be able to integrate your interest in birds and nature birds and, and kind of nature more generally into any role that you're going to be playing in the future? Is that, is that something that you'd like to do? Man, I hope so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope that there's another project that may involve that might actually involve birds that I'm sort of that's sort of in the cooker. It, right, maybe that's not the phrase I want. <laughs> that's sort of uh, that's sort of uh, coming along, we'll say. So that that's probably the most direct connection from from my uh, in terms of projects and birding. But one of I mean, one of the great things about the acting industry is that for the most part, you can. Yes, a lot of stuff is shot in Los Angeles, but let's say, let's say I'm shooting something that's in like Costa Rica or something. Well, then I'll just tag, you know, I'll just tag like three extra days onto the end of my shoot schedule and go explore there. Or, or you know, a lot of stuff is shot in Vancouver. Well, I haven't seen a lot of, I haven't seen a lot of like northern coastal birds. I'm sure that I go find some there, or like, or some owls that are, are not common, you know, are common down here. So. That's how I try and integrate it. I'm sure that, you know, I hope that I can somehow bring it a little bit more into the limelight. And uh, and if that happens, then great. But uh, it, it, do I think there's going to be an action film? And I'm like, you know. Yeah, birding does not really lend itself well to, to action films. <laughs> it's true. Unless, yeah. yeah, no, I'm trying to think of, there's just no way to make it. I, I doubt many people would be intimidated by somebody in khakis and like binoculars. <laughs> no. Aside from Indiana Jones, but that's a special case. Yes. Well, he had a bull whip. So, like, <laughs> that's you know. true. Yeah. Maybe we should carry bull whips. Maybe that's what we should do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, thanks, Ian. Uh, Ian Harding can be found playing the role of Ezra Fitz on the TV drama Pretty Little Liars, coming to its dramatic conclusion on Freeform Network this month. But you can catch it from the beginning on Netflix if you are so inclined. He's also at Ian M. Harding on all the social medias. Uh, you can find Oddbirds wherever books are sold. Thanks, Ian. It is a really great book. I, I hope you get a lot of condors both birds and the uh, and the roles. Amazing. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for having me. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. The ABA is a membership organization. We would love it if you became a member. Join before June 30th, 2017. You only have a couple days left. And you will be entered into a drawing for a pair of Leica Trinovid HD binoculars. But wait, there's more. If you join now and don't win those binoculars, you will automatically be entered into our special membership drawings for the rest of the year. So get in now. This also means that if you join because of a drawing earlier in the year, you're automatically entered into this one too. So long as you made sure to note when you signed up that you were in it for the drawings. 
A special shout out to Sherry Schmidt from Tejeras, New Mexico, and Jerry Barrier from Watertown, Massachusetts, both of whom joined the ABA recently and noted this podcast as a reason. Welcome to the ABA and thank you for your support. Executive producer of the American Birding Podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. Technical production is by John Lowry with help from Greg Neese and David Hartley. John's band, The Hangabouts, does the music. Thanks also to Samson Technologies, makers of professional audio equipment. They have given me a lot of cool stuff, and the quality of the podcast continues to improve because of it. I am using Samson's Pro Podcasting Pack which includes a CO1U condenser microphone. I'm also using a Samson Spider shock mount and a boom arm. Not only do they do a really nice job making me sound good, but they make that corner of my janky home recording studio look really cool and professional. So thanks, Samson. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA. We are not to be confused with the Aaron Burr Association, a very real organization that is dedicated to keeping alive the memory of our most murderous quasi-founding father, though if popular culture has taught me anything, he did have a heck of a voice. Questions, comments, come to me at podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs>